0: This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, your host at Visual Workplace Radio, where we have our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, as you probably know by now, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living dynamic landscape of work through visual devices, visual mini systems, through visuality. Why do we do that? We do it so that we can reap the huge benefits. They are both financial and cultural, important changes, transformational changes, and we also enjoy ourselves at work. We get the financial benefit, we get the cultural benefit, and we like to work. We flow while we work because of visuality. So welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going to continue this week and next week, and I think for a couple more weeks after that, our new series on the visual wear, beginning with borders. Borders are the first element of the visual wear, which has three components or three elements, borders, addresses, and if possible, an ID label. And here's the wonderful part for everything that casts a shadow. Last week, I began by marching through seven of the 18 borders that have been discovered by operators working within the methodology of visual thinking over the last 35 years. There are 18 different types of borders, not just two, not just aisle borders and framing borders, but so many others, and the ones that we mentioned last week, which I described for you, were aisle borders, framing borders, patch borders, double color borders. Remember, Melody Sparrow, great name, (laughs) Melody Sparrow used that for differentiating the placement of diodes and resistors and all of the very tiny, tiny parts that were in her area that she wanted to help others find on their own so they would stop interrupting her work. We talked about time-based borders, shaped borders. That was when I said, oh, please don't use commas. And don't use commas because they don't do the very thing that borders are supposed to do, the very reason, main reason for their existence, if you remember, and that is to establish the pattern of work. There's no pattern in these commas. I disapprove of them. I have found them to be confusing to the eye. And you know what? So you save some tape, but you lose the benefit of the border event, of the border phenomenon, the phenomenal phenomenon. And we also talked about another border called the Garden Gate. So we have another 11 borders to scan. But first, we have some other work to complete from the previous episode when I was talking about the pattern of work. I want to hit a few more highlights. And I also want to invite you, if you've got questions about borders or just want to send some pictures of your own applications, please send them to radio at visualworkplace.com. Radio at visualworkplace.com. Our website is visualworkplace.com. Send them. Put my name on it. Your email is likely to find its way to me rather quickly especially if my name is on it, and we'll respond. Send pictures by all means, by all means. And you know, if I have a spare few moments when you email and you include your phone number, I could call and talk to you about what I see or we could make an appointment. I love doing that. I want to say some global things, some broad strokes about borders. They are the first and the indispensable element For the visual wear. They are the indispensable element for, if you want to call it, elevated 5S. My work has often been called not by the name that I've given it, which is work that makes sense, operator led visuality, but instead, and I like it, 5S on steroids. It is only, it has a relationship to. The 5S that we learned from Japan, kind of traditional 5S. But over the years of my failure with Japanese based 5S, I have learned a new way, a way to create a thinking process for operators as they reimagine and re engineer their own work area. One of the components that we will talk about that happens before you lay down the borders, I call them borders, you may call them lines, before you lay down the borders is smart placement, we'll be doing that after we do borders, but I would like to get you so interested in borders that you want to know what happens just before borders to give me borders that really, really function, borders that actually help with my work or can help others with their work. What does this mean, laying down the pattern of work? I want to mention something two other things that are important and a little bit a little bit unusual in terms of the traditional approach. One is that we border everything that casts a shadow, and that means including what is not movable. If you'll remember, I talked about Shirley Bower Smith's huge blue CNC machine. Which she never thought to border because her rationale was it's not going anywhere, it's not going to get lost, it's not going to leave home, so it's not going to ever not be there. But there's a different logic to that. And when we think about laying down the pattern of work, we understand that we need to see how each footprint occupies space so that we get a sense of what the Germans call the Gestalt, the whole picture, the layout what I call the pattern of work. I spent a lot of time talking uh, about patterns a few shows ago when we were talking about fractals and the um, importance of repetitive patterns or even knowable patterns. They don't necessarily have to be repetible. Yes, the repeatable pattern of work. If it's not repeatable, no problem as long as it's a pattern, as long as it is the visible pattern of work. Because we know that 50% of the human brain functions automatically and what it does, 50% of our brain function that is involuntary is seeking and finding visible information, visual information in order to make sense out of it. And the connection between those two things, finding the information that's visual and making sense out of it, is called pattern. We are trying to understand. So everything that casts when we say, for everything that casts a shadow, including that which is not movable, Sheila C and c, what we are saying is the pattern is what we establish when we, Lay down a border for everything that casts a shadow. And then we can both do our work and know so much more. It becomes a platform. So I want to get, those are two of the three things. The third thing I want to repeat to you is that a border is not a line, and a line is not a border. They just aren't. A line is a one-dimensional figure. It's mathematical if you want to call it, give it some kind of a, uh, quality it's a one dimensional figure that has no thickness and in theory can extend infinitely in both directions and it connects two points. those points may be distance distant, they may be close, but it's a straight line. okay it's just a line, no wiggles anywhere along its length. <laughs> as we heard from Mr. Casey from uh, 19th century Victorian England. He was investigating lines as well and making sense out of it. Today I want to walk you through how I discovered this notion of the pattern-seeking ability, capacity of the mind because it was when I was failing with a particular group, a group that I came to love in Marysville, Ohio, When I was failing with a particular group and getting them to lay down the borders, and I insisted, and they did something extraordinary, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I get so much more than I got before we had this little tussle. Thank you so much. Last show, I was talking to you about reason number one, without borders, for everything that casts a shadow, everything looks the same, there is no pattern, Everything looks the same, and that means we cannot see differences. For all intents and purposes, there are no differences unless we can see them. Nothing in the landscape of work is helping us understand anything, what to do, how to keep safe, where we are, how to exit, anything, where things should be. So seeing differences is a big part of what our brain does. Shorthand for that is the mind, the brain. And I'm using the two synonymously, even though I know very well they're not exactly synonymous. But I don't want you to trip over. Sometimes she says brain, sometimes she says mind. We can have that discussion another day. The brain, the mind is seeking visual information in order to understand, in order to interpret it. 50% of our brain. Function, okay? Understanding produces meaning, and meaning creates sense. So that part of our brain that seeks meaning, that seeks sense through visual patterns is automatic. It's involuntary. I mentioned this last week as well. Like our breathing or our heart beating, we don't have to decide to do it. Our brain is in charge. It looks for patterns, It looks for visual information, it interprets it, and the output is patterns. If the pattern is already there, then the brain does something very interesting, which we'll get to in a moment, okay? What this tells us is that the world is visual because we are visual beings. As humans, we are visual beings. Therefore, we live in a visual world and not the other way around. The world did not teach us to value visuality. Visuality is required because of who we are, and it's the same at work. And it's why the absence of visuality, the absence of pattern, the absence of borders, not lines, at work is such a critical deficit. Okay? And also why borders are so important. Without this visually based world in the community, for example, we would be quite literally lost. The connections that make us a community would be so much harder to forge. But in fact, our community settings, our roads and highways, for example, our supermarkets, the mall, are all populated with dense visuality so that we can find our way. In fact, in the field outside of my field, the field of community um, borders and addresses is called wayfinding. It's a very elementary term. People are trying to find their way, and we can help them. We can also make them go the way we want them to, which has been proven a lot. But let me tell you the story of how I learned about this long before I knew about the research. The research came after I had this great blinding moment of aha the place was in ohio denison hydraulics they make high precision pumps a lot of metal a lot of grinding welding a lot of finishing and the group company was in the middle of a visual conversion what i had been asked to do is work with operators and get them to do 5S. And I said, I don't do 5S. I do work that makes sense. And it goes further than 5S. And they said, as long as we get 5S somewhere along the way, I'll be happy, said my boss, Ken Tice. He was the general manager. And so I taught groups. And in one of the early groups, as I did with every group, we learned about borders, what they are, why they're important. In this particular group, in fact, it was my first cycle there. This was down the road from Honda. And by the way, Denison Hydraulic was acquired by Parker Hannifin about four years into this conversion because of the remarkable functionality that visuality produced on the floor. It was cosmetically compelling, but functionally just excellent. And this plant was not lean at all. Could barely spell the word. It wasn't lean. It was an angry plant, in fact. I was brought in to help people think about being more cooperative. That was how they were using 5S. And they had blown it about four years before I arrived. <laughs> I remember the story of of exactly what turned Uh, The operators completely against it. Two things happened. One was the local champion of 5S, a gentleman who was a head supervisor at the time. One night when he got frustrated because people weren't throwing their junk away, he went through on the night shift with a big black plastic bag and just cleared out all the so-called junk and put it into the bag and threw it out and it was gone. It was, it was a violation, of course, of personal rights and property rights and everything. Not the way to do 5S nowhere. So that went bad. That went down poorly. As part of that, the second part of it was a very fine gentleman named Terence. He happened to be a, a twin, and his twin worked there as well. Had all of the little love notes that his daughters, who were also twins, that his daughters... Um, left for him every morning. They were small. They were five years old, six years old. And every day with his lunch, he would find a little note from his daughters that said, we love you, Papa, and um, be safe, Papa, and I made you peanut butter. And he would take the little notes and put them around his toolbox just out of happiness, out of love. And (laughs) the gentleman who went around with the big plastic bag also got rid of the notes. And you, you know, there was a lot of noise about that. So I come along, and people were pushing back. It was a heavy-duty union plan on top of it, and there was, at the time, um, not too much collaboration between the engineers on one side of the wall and the operators on the production floor. So the guys from incoming inspection, Bunky, John, and Paul, they were skeptical and they and we were talking about borders, and they predicted that borders would not help them one little bit. And so I asked them. I said, "Look, give them it a try. Just give it a try." And I made a prediction. I said, "Borders are going to help you a lot. You will notice a very positive impact on behavior." Because visuality, as I do it, work that makes sense, is a behavioral model. It is there to change my own behavior or to secure it, to make it reliable, or to help it along. It changes behavior, and it may change your behavior as well. But the focus is, I am creating visuality because of my need to know, and that's going to help me do my work. That's going to help me perform. That is the behavior. Anyway, Bunky and Paul and John said, okay, okay, you know, we'll give it a try. And I said, I'll be back in three or four weeks. I was living in Ohio at the time, so it was an easy drive. And I came back in three or four weeks. And by the way, the incoming inspection, the before of the incoming inspection is what you see Wherever there is a non-lean plant and they have incoming inspection, piles and piles of pallets and boxes and white travelers and pallets everywhere, pallets perhaps in some kind of 5S uh, lane or with the remnants of 5S, a little bit of torn up tape holding the um, lanes together and then pallets in the walkway as well. Pallets all over the place. <laughs> so I came back in three, four weeks, and I saw splendid color-coded borders, just splendid, as clear as a bell. Red meant on whole orange was for incoming, and green was ready to go. And I went over to Paul and Bunky and John, and I said, oh, my goodness, what a great job. And they looked at me, and they said, no. No, these don't work. Borders don't work. We told you they wouldn't work. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean they don't work? And they said, you said we were going to get a behavior change. Well, we didn't. What behavior change? Asks I. We want Bill Bedowski and Donnie Cranston, the forklift drivers, by the way, to stop putting overflow pallets in our aisles like that box, like that pallet over there. They don't belong here. We didn't get any behavior change. They're they're doing the same thing. Oh, my gosh. I thought to myself, when I told the guys that they'd get a behavior change, I meant their own behavior. They meant someone else. Yikes. I was baffled. I, I really, for a moment, didn't know what to say, and I certainly hadn't learned about the deep power of borders. So I said, you know, guys, thinking quickly on my feet, you know, guys, my job is to teach you visual workplace principles and practices. And you know what your job is? Your job is to make them work for you. So if this doesn't work, keep going. Keep going. Keep going with the visuality. Keep going with the borders. And I'll be back in a few weeks. And off I went. I didn't know. I thought the borders that they made were perfect. I hadn't bargained for that they were trying to get other people to change their behavior. So I came back in my month or so, and I saw these big yellow X's in the aisles. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's so clever. They put a great big... X in each of the aisles, that's as clear as a bell, don't put anything there. And I said, wow, that's so clever. And Paul said, no, it doesn't work. And Bunky said, Bill and Donnie still dump their pallets and boxes anywhere they want, look. And he showed me, there was a pallet slightly askew so it would fit in the one of the quadrants of the X, Long, long X, tall X, and another one at the other end. And I thought, oh, cheapers. I had no solution to offer them. I was learning the same as them. And I said, yikes. And they said, see, this stuff doesn't work. Puzzled and without much more to say than the following, I said, look, guys, my job is to teach you visual principles and practices and your job is to create powerful solutions so you get the behavior change you want, keep going, I'll be back and I escaped. I didn't know what to do. I had not imagined how to solve that situation and I always like to know what the answer is before I teach but I was completely baffled. Well, when I, when I came back, I saw something completely different. It was, wow. Let me explain it to you. What I saw were wide yellow borders that were the aisles. That's not where the palette went. But wide yellow borders that were the aisles, it was something that we taught Something that I teach, it's, we haven't gotten to it yet, you and me, but it's called person with borders, where the border is serving a double function. It is bounding an area, but it is also, because it's solid color, giving access. So you have the boundary as though it's a fence, but it's wide enough to you, for you to walk through. This is particularly useful when you have piles and piles of whip, as you will. In a not yet lean plant, and they had done it. And I said, you know what? I better not get too excited. I better find Paul and Bunky and John and ask them, does it work? Does it work? And they said, they were they were they were very bright eyed. It doesn't just work. It worked without even telling Bill and Donnie how to use them. And Paul went on. He said, maintenance applied the coat and the sealant over the weekend, and. Everything was ready first thing on Monday, and we were punching in, and Bill Podowski came over and said, hey, what do you want me to do with these extra pallets? Because there's no place to put them. We couldn't believe our ears. I couldn't believe my ears either. The incoming team got the behavior change they wanted. The new borders worked, and they worked like crazy, and they worked overnight. I was absolutely shiny-eyed. It was fantastic. And they use them. And I worried. I worried because I'm a teacher. I'm a conceptualizer. My job is to teach. So that change happens. My job is to think, to teach a, a system of thinking. And I didn't know why the borders worked. These person with borders. I knew they did work. I knew they got the behavior change. But why? I spent... Almost a year with that question until finally one day when I was teaching Lockheed Martin in Texas, someone, I would show the person with borders that the guys at Denison had done and bragged about how quickly it solved the problem and how quickly it worked and how responsive the forklift drivers were. And then someone, his name was George, he raised his hand and he said, wait a minute, little lady, wait a minute, little lady, why did it work? The very question that I had dreaded for so long, why did it work? And I stood there for a moment, and I thought, ah, I've been caught. I felt like a criminal. I've been caught. I don't have an answer. But just at that moment, I remembered something. I remembered something that had happened 25 years earlier. It came to me in a flash. I was living in New York City, making my way in a very, very tense city to keep down my stress. Certain things happened, of course. To keep down my stress, I had been advised, in a very stern voice by a friend, to... Learn to meditate. You need to learn to meditate, Gwendolyn. I was told one day when I freaked out because my friend Patty had brought me rice pudding with raisins when I clearly told her I don't want raisins in my rice pudding. <laughs> I freaked out. She looked at me and she said, You need to learn to meditate. <laughs> I, knew, I knew she was uh, making a uh, comment on my character, my personality. <laughs> So I thought, okay, if you want to keep your friends, you better do something quick. I was so stressed out. So I found a meditation teacher. And I went in and sat down, along with three or four other people, not too many. And this teacher said, he said, close your eyes and don't think of anything. <laughs> close your eyes and don't think of anything. But when I closed my eyes, I thought of everything. It was like the drive-in movies had turned on. I took my complaint to the teacher. I said, when I close my eyes, I think of everything. And he said to me, Gwendolyn, don't you understand? The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. Huh? That's all he said. Huh? What? What? The mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism. That's your answer to how I'm supposed to learn to meditate? He didn't tell me anything else. And it took me seven years to close my eyes and not think of anything. But here I was 25 years later when this guy from Texas said, why does it work? And I realized that that's what the guys had done. They had laid Denison, Denison Hydraulics. Bunky and Paul and John had laid down gorgeous yellow person with borders, and when they did, they had unconsciously laid down a pattern. The borders had become a highly visual pattern, a footprint. The borders were commanding, they were dominant, they were crystal clear to the mind, to the mind of Bill and Donnie. Bill and Donnie may not have known that yellow what the yellow pattern meant, but they knew it meant something and that stopped them. They knew it meant something and that stopped them from their habit of just dumping pallets. They said, oh, wait wait a minute, something has changed here. Better go find out. I mean, it was, I've had about 25 completely uh, fireworks moments in my, in my work. I have many of them, but this is amongst the top 25. When I put together this experience that I had 25 years before, and suddenly the chickens had come home to roost at Denison Hydraulics, and I understood. I understood that we were not laying down lines, that borders functioned, and they functioned in a way that was both conscious and unconscious. That the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism and it will go on seeking a pattern whether it finds a pattern or not. I was stunned. That's what came out of Denison Hydraulics, but I want to develop this theme more. And let me tell you my personal agenda because I have one. My personal agenda is that I want to seduce you into pattern-making. I want to make the idea of borders so appealing and so reasonable and rational and indispensable that you, especially you who work in factories, will not think of going on another day without putting borders in place because they are so important, so valuable, so useful, useful to your purposes if I'm talking to you and you're an operator useful to your purposes if you're a supervisor useful to your purposes if you're a CEO you will not only have the pattern of work but in the process of your operators laying down that pattern of work learning to use borders in the process I'll talk to you as an operator of you laying down the borders, finding the pattern of work, you will start owning the performance that goes on in your work area, owning your behavior, your performance, and understanding that as you lay this pattern, you are helping others as well. So you'll not only own it, but you will link or unify with the people around you. And it will become this process of discovery this journey of discovery this journey of discovery is called thinking thinking at work and i want to go on and talk to you about that enjoyment of thinking as part of the very mechanism that i've just described the mind seeking and finding visual information and interpreting it to understand to find meaning to see the pattern. So, this is the way it is. If you accept, and I'm asking you to for the moment, that the mind is a pattern-seeking mechanism, that doesn't mean that the mind will seek a pattern, find it, and then retire. Oh, I found a pattern, says the mind. I got it. I recognize it. I'll do something else now. That's not the way the mind works. That part of the brain that seeks is continuous. The mind, me, may take some moments to enjoy, to use, to exploit the pattern that I just discovered. But after that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my job. And my job, I'm the mind right now, my job is to seek and find pattern. And I will seek pattern only now I will seek the next level of pattern. Seek, seek, ah, find. I found it. Enjoy it. Use it. Rest for a moment and then get back to the fun, which is to seek the next level of pattern continuously. You know what that means? That means that we, as humans, have a built-in appetite for pattern-seeking, pattern-finding, pattern-building, continuously. Another name, continuous improvement. When we use a platform to step upon in order to get to a higher-level platform, that's called improvement. Improvement. When we do it continuously, it's continuous improvement. And our mind, our brain is taking us there. We don't have to learn it. It is simply ignited in us. It is ignited. The opportunity, the capacity, the CPK, the capability is there already dormant. It doesn't have to be built in. It is there. It comes with the human It comes in the package. Mm -hmm. Continuous improvement. We as humans have a built-in appetite for continuously improving. It is automatic. It is natural. It is unstoppable. It is one of the reasons why we as humans crave for creative output and creative input. Because we want to know we want to find meaning, we want to make sense, we want to master. That's the side of this first reason for borders that is powerful beyond borders. When you realize if you're a continuous improvement specialist or a CEO or somebody who owns a company and you're grumpy, there's a potential sitting there on the floor that is waiting for it to be released, to be ignited, But your solutions are right there on the floor in the minds of the people who are dealing with the problems that haven't been solved. You teach a process of thinking and they will solve it. I'm going further than just giving people an opportunity to participate in a Kaizen Blitz four times a year. That heady experience That CEOs get so excited about because they see people who were invisible to them before suddenly mastering situations that are a problem for their company, for for, for the CEO, for the owner's company, and they're mastering these problems, and we stand amazed. Don't stand amazed. Keep going. Develop it so that it becomes a part of your organization. It becomes your company. This is company culture. When we teach visuality to operators, we teach just as we're teaching now. We teach a process of thinking. We have expectations that are beyond what the operator thinks he's capable of, she's capable of right now. And we bring them along, teaching principles, giving many, many hands-on hands-on opportunities to experiment and explore and try these things out. And the journey is a journey of thinking. The journey is a journey of mastery. Therefore, it is also a journey of self-leadership and of easy ownership, not just of the dazzling results, but also of the problems that preceded them. Hmm? It is why I've said to you quite often that of all the methodologies that I've met in the last, all right, I'll say it, 40 years. Of all the methodologies that I've met in my career, visuality has proven to me to be the most splendid because it not only gives you a 15 to 30% increase in productivity, it gives it to you through people. And on the way to achieving those outputs, people own their work area. I'm talking about supervisors as well. They own the event. And they begin to see how they can contribute to it. And not only that, it becomes a personal expression. Hmm? There's this wonderful poem I'm reaching for my book right now. It's a poem that I read to you from time to time because for me, it, it discusses the uh, power of this power within. This is the poem by a priest, an Irish priest named Gerard Manley Hopkins, who was really an extraordinary human being, very worldly in terms of his understanding of the world, but he lived as a priest. And so he had a narrow band of expression, and the expression that he had that was not his direct service, his creative expression, as it were, was poetry. And he wrote this poem that's simply called by the first um, line of the poem, as Kingfishers, as Kingfisher's Catch Fire. As Kingfisher's Catch Fire. And the Kingfisher is a bird. I'm going to actually put uh, this article, I think in another two weeks, up on my LinkedIn site, an article on this very poem and, uh, and, and what's at the heart of this poem. The kingfisher is this fabulous bird that seems to change color as it flies, but it's the nature of the coating on the feather that catches the light differently, and, and the coating works as a kind of crystal filter. So it's really catching the light and changing the light, and it looks as though the bird is morphing from blue to orange to green to red to gold. They're called kingfishers. You can find them online. Ah, oh, They're incredible. I know them only from England. And apparently they have them in Ireland because he writes of it. And this is what he says. And this is the heart of, of this creative expression. This is best read with an Irish accent because it becomes music, but I was born in Brooklyn. As kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim in roundy wells stones ring, like each tuck string tells, each hung bell's bow swung, finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing in the same, Deals out that being, indoors each one dwells. Cells goes itself, myself it speaks in spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. I'm just going to read those last four lines. Each mortal thing, each human, does one thing and the same thing. It brings out that being, indoors, that dwells inside of us, And it says, it brings it out and declares, myself, it speaks and spells, what I do is me for that I came. I found this poem 20, 30 years ago, another case where something happened to me in one part of my life and brought it right into my work with supervisors and CEOs and operators. When we teach the workforce to think, The workforce pays us back with a bounty that is priceless and incalculable. Next week, we're going to do borders. We have a few more minutes here, but I want to say next week, we're going to do borders. And I'm going to walk you through the power of borders from the point of view of the eight building blocks, which I shared with you probably in the second or third month that we were together. So that's the point the seeking of the pattern is something that is involuntary and opens the doorway to us automatically once we have the opportunity to begin to find and exercise this muscle we become we build we cultivate this appetite inside for continuously improving it's natural it's automatic it's unstoppable but we have to think about the reverse We have to flip it and say, what happens when there is no pattern? What happens when we're not laying down borders? What is the pre-visual state? What happens when we keep struggling to find something that will give us some sense of meaning, connectivity, understanding in a workplace without borders? Without borders, we will still Seek to make sense out of our work, we will simply not succeed. Not very often. Can't think of any exception to that. Without borders, without the pattern, when we walk through the doors of our company for the first time, we take a look around, we do a 180, and we then look for someone who knows what is going on. We find our tribe. We learn to depend on tribal knowledge because there isn't anything else. There isn't a physical landscape of work that is intelligent. So we buddy up with people and we ask questions from people who have figured things out. Tribal knowledge. Instead of making a partner out of the workplace because it speaks to us, we create this insular Um, hoarding of knowledge. So the first reason that we lay down borders is to surface the pattern of work. We will do that, and I'll walk you through it when we do smart placement. But it doesn't get visible. It doesn't get visual until we get to borders. We find the pattern before we lay down the borders. Oh, it's so interesting. The mind takes pleasure in using its gifts That pleasure is ours to enjoy and use as well. In the workplace, that begins with borders. So, that's the story that I wanted to tell you today for sure. And you know, you can get an experience of this in a slightly different way. There's research that was done by Cambridge University in the phenomenal power of the mind. And I call it the pattern-seeking mechanism of the mind. If you look up, oh, I wrote down that spelling. Let me see if I have it on a nearby piece of paper. It's an odd spelling of according to. The research begins with the words according to. Oh, Gwenny, where did you put that paper? I took my glasses off my glasses over there. The spelling is something like, just a moment, A-O-C-C-D-R. A-O-C-C-D-R. Just put that into Google. And you will have pages and pages of stuff that looks like somebody is a very bad speller. You'll get it in English first. And then going further down the page, you'll find it in other languages. But you will see, in fact, words that are entirely misspelled. Any word that is larger than three letters will be entirely spelled incorrectly, it will be intentionally spelled incorrectly. The letters will be all mixed up and garbled. Only the first letter and the last letter will be the same, and this will be in, in um, lowercase. This will not be in capitals because what happens is the mind will recognize the pattern of the word, recognize the pattern, the profile of the word, and be able to read this gobbledygook Seamlessly. You go ahead and look that up. A O C C D R. I'm pretty positive that's it. And you'll find this. And it demonstrates the power of the mind to recognize pattern because the difference between the recognition of this pattern in these words, in these completely misspelled words, is the difference between analog and, and digital uh, clocks, for example. The analog clock, we glance, we understand, oh, it's five of seven. I just know that. And the digital clock, I have to read it. uses uses a completely different part of the brain. Right? The difference between recognizing and reading. Go ahead and put those same words, A, O, C, C, D, R, and the rest of it. In capital letters, and you will have to sound out every word and figure it out, and it will take you a lot of time and a lot of effort. And that's because your mind is not being engaged. It's a different part of your mind, not the part of the mind that recognizes, but the part of the mind that reads. So... It's very, very interesting. And if we recognize that if we go further in our 5S and actually make the workplace visual, not just lay down labels and lines, but lay down function, people will begin to own the work, the pattern of work. They're putting it in place themselves. I wonder if I have time to go through the other reasons. Let me just try to, I think I'll pick that up next week because this has been a very, for me anyway, and I hope for you, a rich session. You may have to do two more shows on borders, but I want you to compare that with the 15 or 20 minutes that you usually spend when you teach 5S in telling people about lines and then probably in the same 15 minutes how to lay them down, make sure the floor is clean, not greasy, not dusty, tape or paint. No, 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 no. This is a rich, rich area. If you want your operators to be involved, educate them. They will be so grateful. Educate their minds. Help them think at work. I sound a little harsh, I know. But it, it, it has always puzzled me why, why this isn't patently obvious, that people enjoy thinking. They enjoy the mind of the imagination but also the mind of science. So I had a really good time with you today. I really love teaching borders. I love their implications and all of the richness that's hidden within the practice of borders and the principles of visuality. I hope that this has stimulated your thinking and maybe even wet an up ap- an appetite for more I hope so so I want to wish you a really great journey wherever you're going but hopefully one of the places that you're going will be to visuality a journey to visuality I hope that it's a splendid road and I will be here next week this is Gwendolyn Galsworth let the workplace speak Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.